just to give you a background, that materials, the booklet that you have in hand are copies. It is produced by Mentor Church. They started putting this together a number of years ago, and a number of churches have picked up the material and used it effectively. Pastor Travis uh, uh, exposed us to it when he was here and strongly encouraged us to do it, but we hadn't had much exposure, much, much explanation until we ended up going out and sitting in a conference and found it to be extremely helpful. I've already explained that what we're going to be doing is providing this for you to uh, get started and I would encourage you and usually here's what I do when I sit down and somebody says here he's a workbook I'm sitting here in the class and I'm just paging through the material and I miss some of the things they're saying you are welcome to do paging you're welcome to do uh, some of the getting ahead but we're just going to go and uh, I'm going to try to keep us paced in a way that we're here in this class and if you keep up with us you might get some illustrations you can uh, talk about we we will talk from week to week about good news but let me get started with this if you are teaching your youngster how to cook, where do you start? Moms, where did you start? What's that? They become helpers? Okay. What do you explain to them? Like what? What are the basics? Pardon me? Measuring? Okay. You teach them about the stove? Absolutely, they know it already. Right? No. No. It's true, isn't it, that we go back to the basics. That what you're doing, if you're teaching through, think of some of the basics that you have to teach somebody. If you're teaching them to cook, one of the things you want to teach them, and like you said, you want to start. You might, might get them involved with you a little bit. But if I, if I came to your house and I said, and, and this would be real, I came to your house and I said, I want you to teach me how to cook. How would you start teaching me? What's the first thing you have to know about me? What do I know, or more importantly in this case, what I don't know, okay? Now, you would have to teach me how to operate the stove. That is true. You'd have to teach me how to do a microwave. (laughs) I don't like cooking. You can ask her. Okay. Uh, You you would have to go to the beginning. One of the things you would teach me if if you'd be, be, you know, uh, besides, okay, how to just defrost something that's a frozen meal that's already prepared. I, I actually, I can do that. Okay. Um, so you say, okay, uh, you're going to teach me how to cook from a cookbook. One of the things you want to emphasize is when it comes to this cookbook, follow directions. Okay. Now, my grandmother was this type of person. We'd say, Grandma, what's your recipe? Oh, I put a little bit of this in, a little bit of that. What kind of a recipe is that, right? To teach. Because nobody else could, yeah, some of you say it's the way to do it. Because you know much. But if I, I was thinking about this. If I was teaching somebody to cook, I would have to start with, okay, finding out what they know, stressing the importance of following directions, teaching them the names of the ingredients. Are there some ingredients in the recipe book that are abbreviations? What else makes it difficult? I don't understand some of these things, like what's a chive? Okay. I know what a mushroom is. Okay. But when you start talking about all these other terms, okay, then, then you say, okay, when you read a recipe book, they have abbreviations. What are some of these abbreviations mean? Okay. Um, when you do that, what do these words mean? Stir. Beat. Okay, if somebody is sitting there and you're saying, okay, they should understand what I mean by roll something out. Really? What if they're a bowler? Okay? 
We'll roll. We take for granted people understand what we're talking about. That sometimes we need to... Did, did you ever have a school teacher that was talking way above your heads? And you didn't understand? They knew their stuff, but you didn't understand what they were talking about. I wonder how many times when we talk about Bible truth to somebody, we throw them for a loop. Do you remember? Some of you won't because you grew up in church. You grew up and you knew the books of the Bible before you were in preschool. Some of us had no clue. So the first time we went to church, the first time we were exposed was one of the most difficult things was when the preacher said, go to John 1, 1. And if you had no Bible knowledge, what do you, what's going through your mind? Where's John? And the problem with that in the Bible is there's more than one title of John. Okay? What's the other problem then? John 1, 1. What does 1-1 one, one mean? Okay? Now you're, going to, you're wanting to share the gospel with somebody. And as you're sharing the gospel, you say, I'm going to take them to a Bible study. Don't you think you need to back up and explain the equipment that they're using? Don't you need to back up and explain, okay, what about finding the basics? Let, let's do this a little bit different. You're, you're a teacher of baseball. What do you teach your child about baseball? Duck. <laughs> what else? Which hand to put your glove in? Oh, wait a minute. Have you ever seen right-handed kids put the, put the glove on their right hand? And then what do they do? The ball comes, they can't catch it, they pick it up, they've got to throw the glove down, then they try to pick it up, and that's not... And, and we take it for granted. Oh, everybody knows that. Everybody knows what's the base, how to hold a bat. Really? Did you ever teach a kid how to hold a bat? Where's their hands usually? Like this or... Okay, and then when they... How do they stand at the base? They stand on top of that thing. You say, you, you say to them, stand right there. And what do they do? They go on top of home plate. And then which way are they facing? You've got to go back to all these basics and find out, okay, what do they know? But you say, I'm a coach. Now you're coaching a team. If you're coaching a team, you have a wide variety. And you're a baseball teacher. If you're teaching professional baseball players, what are you teaching them? You're teaching them at a different degree, a different level. Okay, so here we are. This group right here is probably the professionals on that amateur professional level when it comes to understanding the Bible. And we're going to go out and we're going to take out the Bible, uh, Bible and we're going to teach it to people. And when we teach it to people, we have to make, back up and say, wait a minute, they may not know what I know. And so I need to start at the basics. So what we're going to do in this class, not to offend your sensibilities, not to bore you, but we're going to do a little bit of this thinking, okay, let's back up and let's put ourselves where we were before we heard the gospel or where most people are. Let me see if I can put it this way. Most of you know that before, just a few years ago, um, I was extremely nearsighted that they had told me I'm, they, it was beyond the measurement of the gauges in the doctor's office. And uh, they, were, they told me I was borderline without glasses on, on uh, being blind. And so then what happened is I couldn't see. And so I have illustrated for you my foolishness that I tell about how I swear and I dunk the wrong people or swim holding hands with somebody I think it's my wife but it's a gentleman with a beard uh, I did all these stupid things because I couldn't see then I had that surgery they put the cataracts and then they put the lens implant and when they put the lens implant all of a sudden I have 20-20 vision for the first time without glasses it is life changing 
I am so thankful when I swim that I now can see where I'm going, okay, and what's happening. And so it made a big difference. Do you realize that you and I, without Christ, somebody that we may be sharing the gospel with, that person is basically what to the gospel? He's blinded to the gospel, not only because of his own inabilities, but also who's blinding him even worse? Satan, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And so when we come to those uh, and talk about it, we need to say, okay, let's, uh, let's talk about some of these basics. Let's find out about the Bible. So what I want to start with is just reminding you, and most of you know this, and you're, you're fully familiar with this, but remind yourself that if somebody wanted to expose you to the Quran and they gave you these numbers, you and I, we would be lost. We would have no clue. That's the same for a lot of folk who are all of a sudden trying to be exposed to the Word of God. And so we want to back up and do this. Okay, we want to say, okay, let's, let's uh, understand where that person's coming from. And let's say to that individual, we need to start at a good, we need to have a common denominator. I'm going to start this, and I do most of my Bible studies, and I'm going to say, Bob, do you believe that the Bible is God's Word? That might cause some conversation. For the sake of our discussion here, I'm going to move on and say that what most people do, they say, yeah, I believe that it's God's Word. Okay, then let's do a little bit of study in it, and we understand that it's God-breathed. Let me just explain a couple things about this Bible. That the Bible basically is divided into two major sections. Those major sections are the Old Testament, the New Testament. Within each of them are multiple different books that comprise the story. And I want to give them a little bit of an idea of how, without length, but how the Bible is fit together. I want to give them a little of idea that, hey, this was written over a large period of time by a large number of men, over, uh, over several different continents, through multiple different languages, people with different experiences, but it has no contradictions, and it has one major theme. That major theme is that God it wants to have a relationship with us, that God wants to send his, send his son so that he could have that time with us, and he does not want any man to perish. And so this book is really, really important, but I want to explain to them some practical areas that when you're reading the Bible, the Bible has some short books that has some long books. I want them to understand the chapter divisions. What do you want them to understand about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? They're the Gospels. What else about those four Gospels? Okay. Okay, the men who wrote them. It's all about the life. Now, here, I get this question frequently from new converts. Did Jesus come... Four different times. Because there's four different stories about Jesus. You say, oh no, who would ask that? That's because you know the Bible. But somebody who doesn't know the Bible, they might think, because are there mythological stories about characters coming multiple times? Okay, put yourself back in their sandals and their shoes and their sneaks that all of a sudden that individual, you need to give some basic information to that. Tell them about how this works. Tell them how to study. Tell them that the Bible comes in different areas and therefore is poetry written the same as history? Yes or no? No. Is a prophecy written the same as a teaching didactic section? section. No, it's not. Different genres have different flavors of presentation, just like there's different genres of music. There are different genres of writing. And in those writings, and so you have to help them to understand that some books, you know, they're a little bit more difficult. And they ask you, they say, okay, um, what's the first book? If, If you were recommending a book that somebody picked in the Bible and started at, where would you tell them to start? Wouldn't you start with Genesis? 
and say, start with Genesis, read through Genesis, read through Exodus, skip Leviticus. You you want to expose somebody to Leviticus? No, I wouldn't either. I wouldn't either. Because, you know, putting blood on your nose and on your ear and, you know, the different things, it's confusing. Okay? I'm with a lot of you that said, I'd start with the gospel of... Yeah, yeah, because it's real simple. It's teaching about Jesus Christ. But again, I would explain to them there's more than one John in the Bible. So we got that. You understand that. You're, you're really, really intelligent when it comes to the Bible. But remember when we're talking to people, like coworkers and somebody who's never been exposed to the Word of God, or somebody who goes to church. Oh, by the way, when they go to church, they know their Bible. No? Have you run into people who go to church regularly and they still don't understand what the books of the Bible? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's very true. Okay, so we're going to start, and we're going to say, let's start with something really basic. After we've given them some information about that, we're going to say, okay, um, let me explain something about the Bible. Now, here's where I would do it. I would start off and say something like this. You know, what, why do we read biographies? Why do you read a biography? To learn about the person. Is that the only thing? Or do biographies do something for you at times? They can inspire, okay? When you read. Now, me, I, when I read about missionary biographies, one of the things I find is it's really inspiring, some of their dedication. When I read about preachers, I have one book. It's called uh, uh, Walking with the Giants, two, two different books, Walking with the Giants and Talking with the Giants. It was put together a number of years ago by Wearsby, who writes a lot. And it is biographical sketches of preachers in England and in America. And uh, to me, it's fascinating about these different preachers, different eras, to find out how many of them struggled with personal struggles. And you say, well, What? You find that inspiring? Yes, I do. Because when I read about you know, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, ever, anybody ever hear of Spurgeon before? Okay, called the Prince of Preachers. What was his besetting difficulty? He was depressed. Every year he had to take off several weeks just to go and get refreshed because he was depressed. Plus he had gout and he had a number of uh, physical illnesses. But what I find when I read those biographies is I find out that they are like, like me like you, that they're normal people, but God used them. I find that inspiring. Now, if you had to choose between a biography and an autobiography, which one do you think should be, and, and, and we hope is, if they're honest, which one would give you more insight into the individual? The autobiography. Okay, so let's help somebody when we're talking with it, that, let's take them to the point to understand that the Bible really is God's autobiography. It is really, when it talks about history, it is his story. It is telling us what God thinks, what God feels. It's God communicating himself to us. And so as we look in the Bible, we're going to understand that, that there are several basically basic foundational truths about God. If you were doing a Bible study, and if I were sitting with you, or you were doing it, and, you, and I were to say, okay, what do you know about God? In one or two words, give me some descriptions of God. He's creator. He's holy. Almighty. He's good. What's that? Provider. Faithful. Loving. Okay, we have these different terms. Okay, do you realize that in some churches they don't say those same terms? They might drop off the idea of holy and only emphasize what aspect? 
love. Okay? Now you have to, if you're talking with somebody, you've got to make sure they understand that. Okay, and so you go through, and if you wanted to, you could take and just these first few verses. In fact, in your booklet, there's a page that has some of these verses that talks about who God is, and these are very important. We're going to build upon them. Remember, everything that we're doing at the very beginning is like building a staircase. You start here, and you build, you build, you build, you build, like building your house, building, building um, you know, a building. You start with the foundation. This is foundational truth that we need to understand what does God say about himself. God tells us several different things about him. That he is, as you already mentioned, that he is totally by the way, totally sinless doesn't just mean that he doesn't do sin. It means he is not tainted by sin. He is not marred by sin. Okay, In that aspect, that God isn't, God is totally um, immune from. He is, he is like uh, totally disinfected from sin. Okay, and that, even that is, is uh, subject to just weakness. But God, when it talks about all powerful, there's no limits, that he's kind, he's merciful. When the Bible says God is just, the concept of just is the idea that he always makes the right decision. This might be new and novel for some individuals that you're talking about. That God who is holy, that is his innate character, his primary attribute that he shows towards us is, his, is the aspect of love. And so when we go through that, we come through, there are many different scriptures that give us a revelation of God. We're headed to Genesis chapter 1. It's the beginning, okay? And in the beginning, it tells us a little bit about God. Actually, it tells us a lot. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. You're sitting with somebody and you're saying, here, let's start with this the very first verse of the Bible. What does it tell us about God? He created. What did you say? He is. Okay, what else? He was before everything else. What else? There's a lot here. Pardon me? He has no beginning. Let's just say, okay, if we're looking at that, God's eternal, no beginning. He's before creation. You said that. God is the creator. Um, hold it. Time out. Is this where most people are thinking today? No. 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 Might you have to talk a little bit about the different philosophies that are out there that are decrying God. God is beyond space and time. God is powerful. God is artistic. True? Okay. God is orderly. Is that true? Absolutely. There's an orderliness that he creates things in. He is the author of everything, not just people. He's the author of absolutely everything. He is greater than the greatest things that we say, okay, the expanse of heaven. God is outside of all this. God is the author of all this. God is the creator. Now, keeping in mind, you may have to talk a little bit about evolution. We're not going to take that time right here because that could take us eons. But we have to, spot, have to stop and say, okay, when somebody talks about evolution, where is the danger of that evolution? How does that contradict the word of God? It, evolution says there is no God. What else does evolution imply? Since there is no God, there's, there's what? Man's in control. What else? Everything just moving on? Okay, okay. Now remember, you, this is where you've got to remember that where this person is coming from. Okay? What else might they have in their mind? No God, he's not creator. Uh, man is on his own. What's that? No sin. Things are by chance, by random. There is no plan. 
Okay? What does it tell us about we as a, as a, a race? What does evolution say? We can do anything we want because... Who's the peak of creation? Mankind, okay? Are we getting better and gooder? Yeah, right? Right? Okay. I, I, again, this was just random. You could write down in your book what you want. Okay? What this teaches me and what I, what I understand is when I'm talking with somebody, they might think there is no God. They might think the Bible is unreliable. They might think man is basically good. Oh, by the way, not only does evolution teach this, but most churches people go to. Right? Okay, so you're talking, man's the highest order. Man is accountable to no higher being. Okay, man will make his own heaven. All we need to do is make the world a... Yeah, okay, just imagine. Okay, the song, if I start doing it, the song's going to be in your mind the rest of the message. Okay, that the world will be a better place, there'll be no war, and heaven will be on earth. Okay, man and creation is getting better and better. The reality of the spiritual realm is highly suspect. Okay, so you're talking with somebody who may have a real question about what parts of the Bible, especially what Jesus came to prove who he was. What did Jesus do frequently? Miracles, okay, as signs. And they may say, well, I don't know about that. And by the way, so if we're talking with somebody and they've heard this for years, might they take a little bit of time of having to think this through? Okay, and compare that. There's no eternal soul. Life is all there is. Miracles are suspect. Man is the most powerful creature. Man and animals are one species. Okay, I'll give you an illustration. Um, grandson in a Christian school environment talked about how on our missions trip we were in Arizona, and so he wanted to show and tell. He took a rattlesnake's um, rattle to the show and tell, was telling the class about how this rattlesnake got right next to the teen girls who were on that. They was right outside the door. They came walking out. They heard the snake. They stepped back in. They called for the team at Regen. They came over. And what would you do with a rattlesnake that is right there, that is aggressive? You would run. Okay. This is your property you're trying to protect. I'd kill it. Okay. And so there in that, because there's, there's a mixing of two species of the rattlesnake, and one now is becoming highly aggressive. And so they're telling them out there to kill this, to kill this rattlesnake because they're even more dangerous. They don't typically flee. They attack. And so they came, and they killed the rattlesnake that, uh, that you know, because there's little children there, that uh, the staff members, it was right next to their house. And so they killed the rattlesnake. One of the children in, this, in that school class, when he was telling the story, and naturally, being a little child, he talked about how they cut its head off, and the blood did. Okay, so he's the kid, you know, telling a little bit of the gore. I don't know where he gets that from. Uh, anyway, he's talking like that, and one of the kids in the class broke out crying. You're, you know, whoever, he, he, whoever it was. That missionary is a murderer. He killed a person. Okay, now, kids might think that, but in our culture, not only might little kids misunderstand that, but our kids being told that. They're being told that, okay? And so these are things that, that we need to understand. Okay, this is where the person's coming from. And so when I'm laying the foundation, one of the things I want to tell, make sure that they understand is God is creator. Because if God is creator, what about me and God? I'm his creation. Therefore, I am going to one day be 
Okay, yeah, yeah. So this is where it's going, okay? Where we talk about that God created man and woman, how does that bring it about, okay? And then if they say, well, wait a minute, you know, how do we know God is a creator? Well, look at the heavens. The heavens declare the handiwork. Look at the design. If there is such a beautiful design in creation, what does that tell you? There's a designer. Oh, but I haven't seen him. Oh, wait a minute. Those of you who are hunters, you may not see the deer, but what do you look for at times? Okay, you look for evidence. You look for the tracks. You look for the poop. Uh, you look for you know, the buck rubs. You look for, okay, you look for all kinds of these. And when you see the evidence, what does that tell you? It just happened. It just showed up. And in your brain you go, no. If there's buck rubs, it means there was... Okay, there's some deer nearby. Okay, what does this verse tell us about God? The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament declares his handiwork. We're, again, real simple truth. You're taking somebody through. What does that tell you about God? The firmament is the heavens, is the skies, is the space. Yeah, yeah. That God is existing, that God is powerful, that God is the creator. Let's jump to another passage that you're more familiar with. In Romans, the invisible things of him from creation of the worlds are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. What What does creation tell you about God? We can repeat the same thought, by the way. Repetition is really good. There is a God. What else? This is important. Everyone, everyone has this witness. Everyone can look at creation, God says. And everyone has an innate, an innate recognition that there is a creator. That's not the problem. The problem, according to Romans 1, is what? That everyone did what with their innate knowledge? They started to worship the creature more than... Okay, but why did they do that? Because there's an innate recognition that there is a God. By the way, you can, you, you've run into people, I've run into people that say, I don't believe there's a God. And then all of a sudden in their conversation, they go, oh my God. Or when there's a problem, who do, what do they do? I prayed to God. There's an innate, an innate part of every single one of us. And so God gives that witness. He gives it through creation. What's the other witness that he gives according to Romans 1? He gives it within everybody. The conscience. Okay, and we know that. Everyone has the innate recognition of God's power, his authority. People pray to these different types of deities. This is where, and, and you, you talk with that person, just explain to the person, have you ever prayed to God even though you don't know him? And, and, and almost everyone is going to say, yes, okay, that there's that innate knowledge. So that, in this passage, that bottom line is they're without excuse if they say they don't know about God. Well, God has revealed that he is in creation, in conscience, and that should draw us to what? His autobiography. You want to know about this God? Let's go to his autobiography. So the origins are very, very important because when we stop and say you're created by God, that means immediately that you're accountable to him. Now you're talking with somebody. We're sharing the gospel with Alice. And Alice says, I believe there's a God. She says, I accept that. I accept that God helped create me. Well then, Alice, if God created you, what does that mean? He owns you. He is going to be, you're going to be accountable to him. Well, by the way, according to this verse, look at who gives an answer. You're reading the verse for the individual. And what's the obvious answer? Who has to give an answer to creator God one day? Every one of us. Every one of us, according to this, it says that there's going to be a time in a, in a judgment that every man is going to be judged according to his works. 
Every single individual. By the way, Alice, does this mean you? And that person sitting there who says, okay, if, I, if I'm taking God at his word, then what does that tell me? God is going to judge me one day. Oh, this is important truth. God created me. God's going to judge me. Here's another verse that you want to share with them. It's appointed unto man once to die. Alice, do you realize that one day you're going to die? And most of us say, well, you know, if I die, if I die, if I die. The reality is, when? We're going to die. We're going to die. It's going to happen. You know, it's going to happen. And when you die, according to this verse, you're going to be answerable to this God. You're laying the foundation. Okay? Since God made you and you're accountable, he owns you. You were created, Alice, you were created to please him, not to please others. Okay? Who do most people seek to please? Themselves. Okay, by nature we do that. Okay, hey, do you remember Buzz and Woody? Any of you ever, do you know what I'm talking about? Anybody have a clue what I'm talking about? Okay, we're talking about Toy Story. Do you remember the scene where, where Buzz Lightyear is, is his first arrival into the, into the movie? And he is all about doing what? Okay, doing this. He is against Zer. Do I have it right? Grandparents, help me out. Okay. None of you have ever seen it? Oh, but nobody wants to admit it. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, we, we, you what? You know, you know the script already? Is that what you Okay. Yeah, yeah, right, I watch, it's, it's my thing. Okay. In my office during the weekday, I watch, you know, no. Um, so, I just told you the truth, no. Um, so, there's this scene that, that Buzz is all about, he's thinking he is really a space guy. And he is against whatever it is, Zor, Zor, whatever the character is. And he's got to find him, and he's got to conquer him where the universe is unsafe. And Woody, the other toy in the story, finally taps him and says, Buzz, you're a, you're a toy. Your purpose is to entertain kids. I don't know what the term is. I, I don't know the script that well. But you're, you're designed as a toy. As a toy, you're supposed to please. There's a lot of people running around with Buzz Lightyear in a make-me-believe world. This is true, is it not? There's a lot of people that think that they have set their own agenda. And the reality is they were made to do what? Whoa, whoa. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you have created all things for what? For his pleasing, his enjoyment, his pleasure. That's a phenomenal thought to most people who come walking through. By the way, this is a phenomenal thought for most believers. Our purpose in this life is not for us to please ourselves. Our purpose in this life is not to make riches or to make sure our kids are pleased. Our highest goal and good in life is for the pleasure of God. By the way, what does that tell you about God? He does have emotions. Okay? It tells you that God is worthy of our worship because he created us. That's every single one of us is created for his pleasure. Every one of us. That means this church service that we get together. It is not for us to be comfortable. And yes, am I going to be cognizant of the heats and the air conditionings to make you comfortable so you can listen better? That is an absolute truism. Okay? But the ultimate goal of our worship this morning is to please who? Father. 
God. It's about God. And he he tells us that God is an emotional being. So are we because we're made in the image of God. Okay, and so God says, I created you. This is so foundational, but so important, is it not? That people understand who they are. What are the basic questions that we're supposed to answer? Where did we come from? Why are we here? Okay? Okay? Y'all, who am I idea? Okay, let me ask you this question. Why do you have your car? Why do you have the car you have? Convenience? To get you from place to place? Is that it? What's that? You like it. Is it okay to have a car that you like? If not, we'd all drive. If <laughs> Okay, so, yeah. We'd all drive. Well, I was going to say, not just one car. We'd all drive the same vehicle. The reason there's multiple vehicles is because... Yeah, okay. So if we say, what's the reason you have a car? Okay, to get you around. Is that pretty... Is that pretty accurate? Okay. To get you around in comfort. Okay. To get you around economically. Are these okay answers so far? Okay. Okay. Um, to enjoy it. Okay. Some people get, you know, for the, those are the basic reasons you have a car. Now here, what happens? Here, here, let me ask this. What happens if your car doesn't work? Sell it. Okay. What, what is your, if your car doesn't work, what do you want to do? You want to get it fixed. What's the first thing that the fixer of the car, whether it be you or somebody else, what do they need to find out? Okay. Have you ever taken to a mechanic that says, I really don't know, but I'm going to try things? Anybody besides me? We had one of the church vans break down in New York City with the teens. Okay? And it wasn't working. And the mechanic that said, okay, I can take care of it this day while you go and do your street evangelism. And so we get a phone call from whatever it was, Pastor Binkley, and I get this phone call and say, we're up here, and so far they have changed this, they have changed this, they have changed this, and they still want to change this, this, and this. They don't have anything diagnostic. They're just going through hit and miss. So uh, we thought we'd save the church several hundreds of dollars, so we picked up those same parts, drove up to New York City, replaced them, the church ran, the van ran, we got the kids back late that night. Okay, Our thought was, what kind of mechanic was this? Okay, don't, don't be offended, but a New York City mechanic you know, that had us by the neck okay, and took advantage of it. Okay, now you and I are, if I can use the irreverent illustration, you and I are God's car. God created us, God owns us for his pleasure so that he can, and if there's something broken, it needs to get fixed. But we need to find out what's broken, okay? And so where we go to the Word of God is we say, okay, let's remember what happened in Genesis. You're sitting there, and you're going to make sure they understand the story. By the way, why does God record this stuff in Genesis? So that we have Sunday school lessons to teach little kids? No, so that he can tell us his story of what happened. He created people. And when he was creator of the people, he had Adam and Eve. And what did he do with Adam and Eve as they were in his garden? He walked with them. He came walking. Remember where it says in chapter 3 that he walked with them and they heard the voice of God walking in the garden. So they, 
hid themselves because they had disobeyed God. And so the Lord came, wanted fellowship with them. And that you take him back to from the beginning of creation, God created for his pleasure, for his fellowship, and God wanted to spend time personally with people. And so he created a place, he created an environment, he provided for them, did everything for them, but they violated his rules. They, they broke his rules that were very simple, don't eat of this tree, he provided so much more, but they wanted the thing that they weren't supposed to have. And by the way, do you ever see that with toddlers? Yes or no? They have all these toys, but if some other kid walks in with that toy, what is their, what is their thing? I want it or it's mine, 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 mine. Okay? We don't even need to teach kids that. It is part of our... Yeah, it's right there. It's a part of us. Okay, so we read in Genesis how they sinned. In Romans, it gives us explanation. Wherefore, as by one man's sin entered into the world and death by sin, how many people have been affected by that sin? How many people? Does that include... Rich, I'm doing a Bible study. Rich, does that include your preacher? Yep. That was a real fast yep. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Does that, I wanted an answer, didn't I? Does that include, does that include the Pope? Yeah. Right, if I know my audience, what have they been taught? That he's not sinful, okay? He's sinless, because he's the vicar of Christ. Does that include your wife? Be careful in answering this one. Once in a while. Once in a while, okay, okay, but she's there. That was so, so diplomatic, okay? But you lied. Ah, okay. So I'm going to, does, and where am I going to, where's the final question I want to get on this? Does it include you? Okay. We want to make sure we understand that, that it includes him. Oh, oh, by the way, Rich, when were you a sinner? According to this verse, when were you a sinner? Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This verse teaches that sex is sin. No, it doesn't. It does not, oh, but... Do some people teach that? Okay, so you have to explain what this verse means. What does it mean? It's talking about your conception. It's not saying that your conception, your parents were sinful. When they passed on the DNA, physically, what did they pass on as well? A sin nature, a spiritual DNA. Okay, and so that's passed on from generation to generation. So I'm talking to Alice, and Alice says, well, I don't know if I'm a sinner. Well, I'm going to show her this verse and say, were you ever birthed? Yes. This verse talks about every conception, every birth. There is an innate sin nature within every single one of them. And by nature, we're broken because we're sinners. Okay, this applies to you, it applies to me. I could take them to multiple different passages that indicate that not only have I a sin nature, but, do you remember Romans 3? If you haven't marked this in your Bible, let's do it. Romans chapter 3, and look at a couple of verses here real quick. Okay, oh man. Everybody else in all those other classes are probably done with the material. And I don't care. You guys are great. You are great. I appreciate you. Romans chapter 3. Again, now, here's what I do is when I want to share the gospel, and I have several verses marked that are highlighted, okay? And I'm going to sit here, and I'm talking to Chris. I'm going to show him the verse. The highlight helps draw his attention, but I'm going to warn you. 
I'm, I'm, I'm talking to one person after church services, and I'm talking with this couple, and I'm showing them these verses. And the woman just sat there and went, if you can't see me, he was answering my questions. I'm showing him Romans 3.10, which says, how many people have sinned? Okay, there's how many that are sinless? Not one, no, not one. Okay, so I'm showing that, but it's highlighted. Do you know what her problem was? I had written in my Bible. I had written in my Bible. And before I could go any further, I needed to back up and try to explain to her that the Bible isn't an idolatry or an idol. Again, I totally didn't think somebody would ever think that. Because from the moment I got saved, people told me, do what with my Bible? Write in it. Mark it up. Whatever the preacher's preaching, make some notes. I didn't think anything of that. And I was totally insensitive, and so I had to back up a little bit. And he got saved. She didn't. She didn't get saved because she couldn't get over that little bit of a hurdle. Okay, and so we try to follow up. So in Romans chapter 3, you got verses 10, 11. There is none. What does it mean there is none that understands, there is none that seeks God? How do you, how do you explain that verse? And yet people make idols. People go to, go to worship centers. It says there's none that seeks after God. Is God wrong in Romans 3 to 11? What, what does that mean? How do you explain that? Okay, he does. I think that's the key. Is there's no man that seeks after, if I can put it this way, the God of the Bible. Most people who create God and idols and worship centers, what do, what do they do with the God? They, they make it in their own image. Or they make the stories about the God to make the gods like what, like us. Okay. And so when it talks about no man seeking after God, it's the idea is because most people are not saying he is so holy and I'm damned to hell. Most people aren't running to that truth. Okay. Innately, they aren't. And so we have that. And then it says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, we have that basic idea that how many have sinned? Okay. Rich, does that mean your wife? Does that mean your preacher? Does that mean your parents? Does that mean your children? Rich, I'm going to ask you the tough one. Does that mean your grandson? Yes. Yes, okay. And does that mean you, Rich? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And most everybody is that I've ever talked to, they're, they're with you on this one. So you've got to think about it. All of us are created by God. We're accountable to God. He wanted fellowship with us. Our ancestors broke the rules. As a result, they hurt the Lord. He's an emotional being. They lost fellowship with him. Their sinful nature is part of the consequence. We all have that sin nature by consequence that's passed on to us. Plus, we choose to sin on top of it. We choose our own sin. Not just the Adam and Eve sin, but we choose to do it ourselves. And one day we're going to die and be personally judged by this God for our sins. So, by the way, is this a popular concept today? Is this real popular to think going about Go to Lebanon Valley College. Talk to most young people. Are they going to sit there and say, I'm a sinner? Okay. Why not? What is the popular thing today? I'm good. I can what? I can do what's right in my own sight because there are no... Yeah, yeah. The moral... Do people want to talk about moral absolutes? No, no, no. So some will say all these different things. Okay. But that's not what God says. 
God says about you and me that we have sinned. Take your book. Next week, we're going to pick up here. Identify the sins. These are just some of them, but understand, there's two phrases, there's a phrase that's repeated here. This is critical, that you're talking with the individual. There's one phrase that shows up in this verse, the concept twice, at the beginning of the verse and at the end of the verse. It's talking about who shall inherit the what? What's the basic idea? Who's going to get into heaven? Let's, let's leave it gen- generic that way. And he's saying, these people won't. And he's listing a list. And he's show, showing it. Because Chris, if I'm sharing this, Chris, Chris might say, well, I'm a sinner, but I'm, I'm not that bad. I'm not as bad as that person. her. Okay. I'm a good them. Them. Well, we'll make it. Okay. Sorry, Sherry. We'll, we'll, just, we'll throw everybody in. Okay. Do people ever do this? Oh, by the way, do we ever do it? Mm-hmm. Okay. We want to pick up from here. I want to pick up from this idea and we want to say, okay, if I'm sharing this, I want to identify some things. You've been absolutely phenomenal. Thanks for listening.